Hey everybody, welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 307 being recorded on July 2nd, 2014. I'm Ryan Schrout. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. And I'm Ari Teitelman. Alan Malventano, not with us today. Uh, missing in action. He's not actually missing. He's in uh, Korea. And he was attending a Samsung event. Uh, we'll talk about one of the products they launched, uh, but we'll wait for him to get into a whole lot of detail of the storage stuff that happened over the last week. But we will mention it very briefly. Maury's filling in for him. Thanks for joining us, Maury. Um, first things first, thanks for joining us. If you watch the live stream, it's at pcper.com slash live. We record it on Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we have a schedule on the right-hand side of every, basically every page at pcper.com that shows the uh, times where we're going to have live events. Uh, if that's maybe too much of a hassle and you don't visit pcper.com six times a day like you should, then you can you can sign up for our mailing list, which is at pcper.com slash subscribe. And if you go there, you get this handy little form, uh, which asks you for your name and your email address. You submit it, you get added to a mailing list, and we send you an email before we're about to do a live stream. Sometimes it's 20 minutes, sometimes it's two minutes, sometimes it's an hour. It just depends on when somebody actually reminds me to do it. So uh, if you do that, you can get signed up for our events. Like if we have AMD out here or NVIDIA or MSI or Gigabyte or uh, somebody like that, we will let you know when that is happening. And a lot of times we give away free stuff on those other extracurricular live streams, if you will. Uh, The other uh, big thing we want to get out of the way first is um, I've mentioned it before, but we now have the PC Perspective Hardware Workshop 2014 at QuakeCon 2014 landing page up on PCPro.com. You can find that at uh, PCPro.com slash workshop or PCPro.com slash QuakeCon, uh, as you can you can uh, see if you type that into your URL there. it is. Uh, uh, this is advertising our event. It is on Saturday of QuakeCon, July 19th, 12 p.m. noon. We'll go from noon to 2 Uh, Our sponsors this year are NVIDIA, Seasonic, and Logitech. Uh, Those are the the companies that are helping us make T-shirts and make sure we can have everybody there on site to make the event run smoothly. So big thanks to those guys. Uh, We will have a live stream. If you're not going to be at QuakeCon, it is in Dallas the weekend of the 17th to the 20th. It's a very fun uh, thing that I think eh, pretty much everybody should be attending once or twice in their lifetime. Um, and we have prizes to give away. This is kind of what we do, right, is we give away stuff. We've got, uh, we've got more coming. We don't have confirmation of what the specifics are yet, but these are the ones that we have specifics. You can see we've got Corsair signed up. We've got EVGA, Galaxy, G-Skill, Logitech, Kingston, MSI, NVIDIA. Damn it. Rocket. Are we going to go with Rocket? Anybody know? Rocat. Rocat. Is it really? You- Rocat? Yeah, it's Rocat. Yeah. Rocat. So that's what I've heard. Yeah. I feel really bad. Rocat, XFX, and Zotac. We also have uh, Asus and Gigabyte. Gigabyte signed up. We don't have the exact listings of what we're getting from them. Uh, we have like Cooler Master signed up. There are other people we're going to add to this list. So this list will definitely grow between now and the beginning of the workshop. But it's already looking pretty good. Yeah. Is uh, Jacob and Tap showing up this time? So Jacob will not be there. Tom will be there. Uh, nice. Tom, Tom will be on stage. He'll be doing his, I don't know if he's going to put my face on a dummy and throw it up against the wall virtually or not. I don't know what he's going to do this year. He never tells me. I don't think he knows until usually the day before. But 
It will happen. It will be a ton of fun. We'll be giving away a lot of stuff. You don't have to go to the BYOC to attend the workshop if you're near Dallas and you want to drive in just on Saturday Saturday for that event. It's free. You can just attend the event, uh, and we would love to see you there. We had crowds of upwards of 2,000 people the last couple of years. So um, looking forward to that. I think it will be a lot of fun. And you can meet some of the PC Per guys as well. Ken will be there. I'll be there. Alan should be there. Josh will be there unless you get stopped at the TSA gate again. Um, again. Again. Uh, but you know what? I've been practicing my Kegels. That's good. That's good. you got to keep keep everything contained, if you will. Uh, now, Maury, you were telling me uh, before we started recording the show that you had a little bit more info on some stuff that was happening at QuakeCon. You wanted to bring that up real quick? Um, yeah, there's there's um, there's a couple things that have been that have been announced you know, over the past couple of days. First big one is Doom Four will be uh, will be uh, will be given out or uh, not be given out, but it will be playable via a beta. What and I, be, I'm wait, not wait. sure if it's going to be in a booth or it's going to be actually allowed to be played in in the uh, BYOC. Okay. Um, also, they are doing an L, uh, was an Elder Scrolls Online workshop, and to celebrate that, and I guess some. Additional content is coming out. They're giving 3,000 copies of Elder Scrolls Online away to the first 3,000 recipients. Now, I don't know exactly what first 3,000 recipients means. It's not for the workshop, of course. They're not going to have that many people there. But um, it probably means the first, I would guess, the first 3,000 either registries or BYOC people that show up. Um, Yeah, because you can can register and get a badge and walk around the exhibit halls without – being at the BYOC, so right, but yeah, so uh, but yeah, so they're giving out three thousand copies of that, which is cool. Um, Master Pancake is going to be back. It's going to be nine p.m. on Friday night, like it is normally. They will be doing Labyrinth, okay? Um, Pan's Labyrinth? No, 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 no. Labyrinth with um, with uh, what's Bowie. his face? Okay, yes. all right. Yeah. Well, it's supposedly, it's supposedly it's one of their original shows, and they do a real bang-up job. I mean, they, they do Can Master Pancake around seats. here now, and they do a real bang-up job on it. So, Isn't that um, usually the thing that we show up really late to already yeah, having been drinking? Yeah, we get back, and we have a beer, and it's <laughs> awful. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay. But, Anything um, else, Maury? Yes. Um, the last thing that I've heard is QDQ. If you have a QDQ like I do... That is QuakeCon done quick. Um, QuakeCon done quick. It's a special pass. It costs way too much this year. Hmm. Um, but uh, supposedly, this is still a rumor, and it's not. It's you know, um, one of the directors came on and kind of pseudo confirmed it, but he said that very strongly suggested that QDQ people will be able to get in, set up, and maybe able to play on Wednesday night. So usually Wednesday night, you can just drop off, and they tell you get the fuck out. But. Yeah, um, you know, I we usually get there Wednesday morning, afternoon. Yeah, because yeah, we afternoon, drive yeah. through the through the night. Um, Listening. Wednesday is usually a day of recovery. Uh, it's also Hooters night for our team, where we we all celebrate uh, collectively getting together and going to a Hooters <laughs> because it's next to a House of Blues where they have a party, but not very good food. Um, that that was Thursday night. Oh, that is, Thursday. is that Thursday night? 
It's um, Thursday, yeah. yeah. Thursday night's a Hooters night? Damn it. Not but so still, it's, it's the get-together. It's relatively inexpensive as compared to, like, dragging our behind to a Brazilian steakhouse. Yeah, yeah, that gets expensive for me. Sometimes. Yeah. <clears throat> Hot dogs it is. All right. <laughs> Stopping by the uh, – what kind of grocery stores you got there, Maury? We got Kroger, Tom Thumb – uh, Wiggly. Walmart Market. What's the uh, what's that weird one from high Austin? I'm going to grab Seven Eleven dogs. H- weird one from Austin. H H E B. H E B. Yeah. We don't. Uh, there's. They're coming. They're not here yet. We do have Aldi though. Aldi's like some kind of weird, super they, cheap. They sell hot dogs there. Their own brand. No. No. Racetrack sells hot dogs. So you go there. Quick like, trip. Like real cheap. Oh yeah, yeah. You can get like ten hot dogs for three bucks. Or I'm something. in. I'm in. That's Josh. Josh. There's your meal plan. <laughs> What do you think I exist on outside of this? Bring a uh, coffee maker if you want. Let me get it up. I'll, I'll make sure the sweets we have have a microwave in it so you can at least heat it up uh, this time. Uh, let's get into uh, the content and reviews from this week, starting with uh, Lee posted a review of an oddly named power supply, the Silverstone Nightjar. This is a 520-watt fanless power isn't, supply. Isn't a nightjar where you urinate in and then close it up so you don't have to smell it? I yeah. I don't yeah, know. It kind of is. I'm looking at this koala, and I think it's maybe a koala. That that no, the koala just makes no sense. Well, the koala is sleeping. No, the koala is sleeping because it's a fanless power supply, and it's not waking his ass up. So it is it so is. So he doesn't get to use the night jar. Well, yeah, that's right. Because he doesn't want to wake up because he don't have to pee, and then it's all yeah. It's don't have to smell it. It's much better. <laughs> so fanless power supplies are a an interesting niche of the PSU market. Where you know you're obviously you're targeting a small, not necessarily a small form factor, but just a silent system, and uh, power supplies is just another place where there is a fan that you could potentially get rid of, right? So uh, this is, I think, might be the largest wattage fanless power supply we have seen. Maybe not. Maybe we saw 600 at one point. Um, and we've also seen other power supplies that have. Uh, uh, fans in them, but they don't turn on until you reach a certain amount of uh, power consumption, right? So this is, no, this is not that. This is no fan included in it. If it catches on fire, so be it. But with a 520-watt thermal limit, you know, you're not, you're not going to, you're obviously not going to do that, right? Silverstone has made very good power supplies for a very long time, and this one is really no exception. You are limited on kind of your PCI Express connections here. You can see you get two um, PCI Express Six plus twos is all you get, right? So that is a single graphics card that you're going to install. It could be a two eight pin or it could be a six and an eight or whatever you want it to be, but you're only going to be able to install one graphics card on this power supply. That's kind of the, the drawback to the desire for um, a fanless design. Now, when you look inside the unit, I can't tell you what I'm looking at here, but it's high quality materials, right? This is read Lee's, Lee's commentary on this. It's high quality materials because they need to be able to survive under high temperatures without air movement and survive for an extended period of time, right? So, um, I am curious. You're going to pay a premium for these. Uh, looks like $149 as of June for uh, this unit on Amazon, right? So that's that's pretty expensive for a 520 watt power supply. But again, you are paying for higher quality components in order to make sure you don't, you know, have to use a fan or catch everything on fire or whatever you want it to be. It did get a gold award. It has a three-year warranty, which was a little bit of a letdown. You'd like to see something like five, especially when you are buying the one that does not have a fan included on it. 
zero dba acoustic silent operation that obviously being the big plus and it is capable of delivering the full 520 watts of continuous dc output based on uh, lee's testing and 80 plus platinum efficiency is what helps it be able to do that without um, a fan so if you are uh, a consumer very interested in a noiseless system then uh, take a look at the silverstone nightjar i guess now ryan don't stick it in a fully water-cooled pc please Inside, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, night jars <laughs> are medium-sized nocturnal or crepuscular birds in the family Capramulgidae. That's ah, what I thought. Thank you, Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia, mm-hmm. Josh. I appreciate that. Um, so, Especially, uh, you know, it's not every day you can say crepuscular. Uh, I still probably can't. So, right there's that. Um, moving on, we have a. Another story of a different ilk. This is the EVGA Torque Mouse. T-O-R-Q. The, the Torque Mouse? Torque Mouse. Torque Mouse. Torque Mouse. Tor- T-W-E-R-K. No. E-R-Q. So last QuakeCon we had the hard-on, and this time we have the Torque. <laughs> this is the EVGA Torque Mouse. They've actually they showed us this at CES in some, some basic form. Um, not quite finished. But here it is. It is their mouse, uh, ranging from the plastic version of $49 up to the carbon fiber version at $79. That is with kind of their special. Uh, and you can see here in this handy uh, – this is not an animated GIF. This is a uh, – it's a MP4 file embedded into the page that Scott made for us here. Please make and it if you listen to Enigma music while watching that, it makes perfect <laughs> sense. You can see what we're seeing here. You can see it looping. This is the – expandability of the different portions of, of the mouse, right? So you can adjust it to fit your hand size if you think it's uncomfortable and it's a, and it's a kind of out-of-box format there. Um, obviously, it uses a Torx screwdriver. Get it? But that's T-O-R-X to adjust. Well, wasn't, uh, wasn't Torx the name of the guy with the big hunchback and the bad knees and the uh, hands of Manos? No, Manos, hands of fate. Mm. No, but it's oh. close. It's I don't close. know the answer to any of these oh. questions that are occurring. That's going to bug me now. <laughs> uh, by the way, if you look at this animated animation, uh, the mouse does not breathe like this on its own. Uh, this is a <laughs> thank God. This is, <laughs> this is a stop motion. Yes, torgo. Wait, you mean the mouse doesn't twerk on its own? The mouse does not twerk under your hand while you're <laughs> the using master it. Master will not like that. And it gets sweaty for you. <laughs> uh, EVG also provides three pairs of weights to put inside the mouse. Um, so you can choose between you know varying weights. I, that's something that's been around for a while. Uh, I, I guess I'm just not as particular about my mice as I should be because I just kind of use it out of the box. But. Because they're kind of terrible at games. So you're telling me if I use a real mouse with weights in it, I'll be better? No, I'm saying that you'd have to be good for it to matter. Oh. And what you don't see in that picture are the three-inch spikes that come shooting out of the palm rest. <laughs> Every time you screw up. Uh, you got two main buttons. Uh, as uh, Scott says here, they have a crisp click to them, which he applauds. The right, mount, right mouse button feels a bit more hesitant. Um, yeah, but it, otherwise, I, I'm sure they're the same. Uh, side buttons little bit mushy fairly long travel and uh, he goes he goes into benchmarks you're gonna benchmark this mouse guys it's like frame rating but with mice so uh, the first benchmark is how quick can i double click each button and uh lower the better 
indicates different throw levels. Um, we got some double click latency here, left mouse button, right mouse button, middle mouse button, and then all the side buttons left up, down, DPI up, down. And he compares the EVGA Torque X10 to the Razer Naga 2014. It's, it's interesting data. I would not have thought to kind of like analyze that feature of a mouse, which is why I sent it to him rather than me doing it because I'd have been like, yeah, it fits in my hand. It breathes funnily, right? You know, it's, you know, it's kind of creepy, but... The heartbeat's a bit disturbing. Yeah, yeah, it would be. It would be if that were a real thing. Now I'm going to make sure that we figure out a way to make that a real thing. Uh, they also, in typical EVGA fashion, have really, really good software attached with this as well. You can see uh, they called EVGA Unleash. And... Uh, probably, probably, yeah. Good thought, good thought, though. Uh, but if you're used to using Precision X... Um, even if you don't have an EVGA graphics card, you'll probably recognize some of the visual style and what they do here. So you can adjust your DPI, you can adjust sensitivity, uh, you can set macros and profiles and everything all through there. And uh, as Scott points out, it's a much better option or clearer option to disable mouse acceleration as opposed to the Windows option which says enhance pointer precision, which is actually incorrect. So... Um, there's a good about, there's a good amount of feedback in terms of mouse ergonomics and like we said the clicking speed and what other features you might be looking for in a mouse. So if you're if you're interested in a mouse, uh, we should point out that it is like the MSRPs are about fifty dollars higher than what they're currently selling for as we record this. I don't know when that sale may go away. So if it's something you're interested in, um, check out the review and then you know maybe check out the mouse. We will have I think like a dozen of these to give away at. Uh, the workshop, so you could win one for free too if you stop by. Hey, hey, Ken. Uh, I also put a link <clears throat> in uh, our hip chat of what that also reminded me of, and it's safe for work. Uh, Are you sure? Yes. Okay. No, don't do it. <clears throat> going to now check out it. the breathing on this. Uh, do I need sound? Because there's not going to be any sound on this. No, you don't need sound. Okay. Gosh, dang it! Go to thirty-eight seconds. I don't. Yep. This is this is the worst podcast we've ever done. Now, look at the breathing. It's just like the it's mouse. So gross. <laughs> what are you doing? He's going to start pumping iron. So. Oh, he's going to. Oh, he gets out. Okay. Yeah. This has a happy ending. Everybody. It does, but it's <laughs> not breathing. Does it? You're an evil person. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, we move on. Uh, so check out that review. Also, we've got a, we had a couple of stories actually go up this week uh, from Alan. He's not here, so I'm just going to take credit for him. The first was a review of the OCZ Revo Drive 350. This is a PCI Express based SSD. It is not an NVMe unit. This is uh, using like AHCI, but it's through PCI Express, so it's significantly faster. We have four. We count. Four Sandforce controllers on here uh, that integrate through a like custom OCZ controller that acts kind of as like a, a low latency, uh, high performance RAID controller. And um, this is the 480 gig model. And this is really aimed at the consumer, which is kind of interesting. This is not, uh, you know, the Revo Drive is their consumer brand. It's not uh, strictly, you know, limited toward or aimed at 
Enterprise, I guess is what I'm trying to look at there. It's available in 240, 480, or 960 gig models. Um, you can see here, if you look at like the max read speeds, are rated up to 1.8 gigabytes per second. Write speeds at 1.7 gigabytes per second. That 240 gig model is about half of that, though, so we imagine it has fewer Sandforce controllers in it. Uh, it is quite expensive, though. although the benchmarks do look quite good. Let me uh, jump in here to uh, our iometer results. You can see here the blue line that represents the Revo Drive 350, which is their latest iteration. And although at Q-Depth 1, 2, and 4, it kind of is in the realm of your standard SSD uh, and some of your higher-end uh, well, actually, no, I take that back. The only three, the only three things above it are I.O. drives. Uh, oh, no, no, the Intel SSD 730. So that's there is one SSD above it. As soon as you hit a Q depth of 8 or above, you can kind of see how the PCI Express capability really scales up very, very nicely over the rest of the competition. Um, let's see, where did we have? We've got our HD TAC results. Maybe that'll be, no, no, where am I looking here? which Alan's not here. Here we go. So you can see our read transfer rates. We did hit like 1.7, 1.8 gigabytes per second on this, um, which is pretty, pretty damn impressive when you think about it. You know, SATA, you're kind of maxing out at like 500 to 540. Now, the one um, drawback to this from a consumer perspective is the price, really. It's, it's super fast. At 480 gigs, you can make that your boot drive and your primary drive. At 960, you definitely could. And maybe make that maybe the only drive in your system if you're comfortable with that as being kind of like your gaming performance rig. Um, the pricing has the 480 gig model at $830, which puts it, puts it at $1.73 per gig, which is high for solid state. Um, it's not that high for PCI Express solid state, but it's still pretty high. If you go up to the 960 gig version, that price per gig drops to buck 35, which is better. But now you're paying $1,300 for the device, so you are making a significant investment into a PCI Express based SSD uh, for that purpose. Also, we found some performance inconsistencies in Windows 7, um, where this is kind of the first release since OCZ published version 2.0 of their kind of Revo PCI Express based SSD driver package. And with that, they kind of, they, they added trim support natively in windows 8.1, but it kind of had to shoehorn it in, in windows seven a little bit. And it looks like it caused some inconsistencies in performance levels there. It's not in everything, um, but it's in a, a handful of the benchmarks that we saw. Uh, I'd imagine chances are, if you're going to buy a, PCI Express SSD, you probably are moving on to Windows 8.1 at this point, so it shouldn't affect you, but it's if you're a diehard Windows 7 fan, there may be something to uh, to keep your eyes out on. Also, because it ha- came out a few weeks ago, the Intel uh, SSD DCP3700, which was an NVMe PCI Express SSD, we didn't include it in our benchmarks because it is a more expensive product and it's kind of uh, aimed at a different market, but I knew some people were going to be curious about it, so I asked Alan to include at least one benchmark that showed how that NVMe-based PCIe SSD compares to the Revo drive, and it really does kind of put everything into perspective, right? So um, that Intel SSD is significantly faster across the board, one from Q depths of 1 to 256, and you know, you're, you're more than doubling it in many cases, in most cases, actually. So uh, 
again, it's significantly more expensive. It's not really aimed at the consumer yet. We're still hoping Intel may do that one day in the future. But if you're looking for a super fast PCI Express SSD today, the Revo Drive 350 is it. Any of you guys have any questions about this um, that I can pretend to answer since Alan's not here? It's a PCIe 2.0 or a 3.0? It's 2.0 by 8 or by oh, 4. It's 4. I think, I think it's 3.0 by 4. You think it's 3.0 by 4? I think the old one is 2.0 by 8. Oh, okay. All right. So this is 3.0 by 4. I'll, I, I don't know. You know, if you lick the contacts, you'll be able to tell if it's 2.0 or Well, the, the interesting thing is PCI 2 by 8, PCI 2.0 by 8, is the same bandwidth as PCI 3.0 by 4. Yes. Peak theoretical bandwidth. Reverb drive tree fitty? Yes, the tree fitty. Tree... Um, so that's it. That's that's the Revo drive. And then, of course, uh, we also reviewed the Samsung, what is this, 850 Pro. 850? 850 Pro. Uh, and Alan, this is what Alan was testing and writing right before he left for Korea so that he could go to Samsung so they could tell him about the 850 Pro, um, which – whatever this is a follow-up to the 840 pro uses essentially the same controller but the big difference here is in the flash the this is the first integration of 3d nand probably nand isn't it yeah but it's it's v nand but it's in 3d it's yeah it is v yeah so yeah josh do you know do you have any could you care to quickly explain what the difference between traditional 2d nand would be versus 3d nand or do you want to we want to wait for alan to get back for that well i think uh, essentially if, if you think about it 2d nand just uh, they are cells that are flat um and they go kind of linear linear linearly across the die and so then the smaller you shrink the die the more cells you can put in there but Samsung has done something interesting in that they've stacked these cells in a three-dimensional direction, and they've got all these, you know, 50,000 holes per square, whatever. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing what they're able to do, and they do it on the 30-nanometer process. So not only are they using a, a, uh, a mature process, but they are creating these structures in a unique way that allows them to continue to use this older process, which has a positive effect on uh, on write and erase cycles. So you're getting, you know, the higher amount of cycles per cell, mm-hmm. but they're stacking these cells in a unique way on top of each other. So even though they're using 30 nanometer, they're still getting density in uh, that I think is actually higher overall. Then the competition's twenty nanometer and nineteen nanometer two D stuff. Yeah. So I, I, I go ahead. I performance wise, this opens up. Uh, Alan was trying to uh, to explain. It actually makes things much more load latent than they were before because you have quicker access to those those nand those flash cells uh, on demand. The other big thing is obviously, as you're saying, like that as we have seen die shrink after die shrink to get this higher um, density, you're actually losing on write capability and life cycle of that flash. This kind of fixes that by expanding the write cycle 
and expanding yeah, and, well, the Wi-Fi. Tell them what the warranty is on this. Damn yeah, they thing. got a ten-year warranty. Ten year on the SSD, which I don't think we've we've seen, especially on a on a consumer drive. No. And do you know? Do you know how really? how much Jeff from Tech Report was sweating in Seoul when they were telling him about how long this flash apparently lasts? Four forty petabytes or something. <laughs> you know? Well, it's like a hundred. They 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 say it's. You know that they're going to warranty it for like 150 terabytes or something more than that, but it's around that for you know warranty and what we'd expect after you know X amount of gigs per day that it'll write. But uh, when we're seeing you know one petabyte from you know 840 Pros and those guys, I mean this thing's going to be just it's going to be three years before they finish testing. On it, yep. And it's. I, I think Sandisk is the other person with a ten-year warranty. You think Sandisk has a ten-year warranty on a drive? I think it's Sandisk. Someone else does. Interesting. Um, I, I mean, from a pack, like this is still a two and a half inch drive. Uh, nothing like unique about the form factor, or it's still a SATA, SATA three, SATA six G device. Uh, if you look at the internal pictures of it, it's still just a PCB with some flash chips and a controller. It doesn't look any different. Um, it's uh, uh, fairly easy to you know to see how this transition would happen, and um, it's a pretty small PCB. Yeah, it's actually because of the density of the flash, they can they don't have to use as many uh, modules on it. Um, real quick, I mean, uh, run through this. The benchmarks wise, it's stupid fast, right? Uh, and in tests, you know, you can see here the the 850 Pro is the blue bar on the top. This is Lower is better results. This is a file creation test. It is the fastest SSD of the of uh, on this for the you know three out of the four results. That includes being the Intel SSD seven thirty, as well as the Samsung's own eight forty Pro, and then on the file copy test, sort of the uh, the same results there. Uh, if we look at something like Iometer. it shows us IOs per second. Again, the blue line is the new one, and it's. Leading the pack most of the way. If it's not leading, it is essentially on par performance with that. Um, which one are we looking at here? The OCZ Vertex 460 or the Samsung 840 as well, right? So these are super high performance drives. We are essentially totally decimating at this point the SATA uh, six the SATA six bus, right? Like it's now. What I thought was most interesting. And did did you have anything else to say about no, go SATA ahead. six? I'm sorry. No. The trim. Perf- oh and yeah. The, the the performance over time metrics here. So yeah. This so what we tend to do is we 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 run uh, the HGTAC test on an SSD when we first get it when it's brand new and then we run all the benchmarks and and it kind of eats at the drive and it kind of degrades performance and, and then we run that same HTAC result again and we start to look at how performance has changed and it's and it's an easy way to kind of emulate some months or a year of kind of a general user's workload what they might do but we're doing it in the span of a couple of days um, because of the benchmarks that we wrote so this is a result of um, the Plexter M6M SSD that we reviewed recently, and he says this is actually a very good performer, right? So what you're seeing here is, um, as it writes across the entire capacity of the drive, the capacity down here at the bottom, you see the speeds up here, 
And the write speed is this dark line up here. And you can actually see it does pretty well. It's around 350, and it kind of takes a step down like 325. And then it kind of freaks out a little bit. But this is fairly normal. And we've seen some that start that process much, much earlier or have like a slow thing all the way through. Uh, you take a look at these are the results that the 850 Pro gave. This is the first one, and this is the second one. Again, looking at the dark the darker of the red lines and it barely hiccups off of the 450 megabyte per second right line on that. And on the second one, obviously it doesn't do, doesn't do any of that. So, um, as he says here, those are two sequential runs after fragmentation without trim. The low-level changes Samsung made to their VNAN flash make it nearly immune to typical 4k random accesses and absence of trim. Um, and he says he's never seen an SSD so apparently resilient against fragmentation. So, uh, so this is the antithesis of uh, the Intel uh, 80 gig drive back in the day. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Quite quite different from what there. So, 850 Pro. Uh, when did they say it was going to be available? Um, Two weeks. July 21st. Yeah. And they updated pricing after we published our story, but. Um, you know, right, right thereafter, and the the prices are interesting. If you look at the uh, the one twenty eight gig model is one hundred twenty nine dollars, so you're looking at just over a dollar a gig there. Two hundred fifty six gig model is one ninety nine. Uh, the five one ninety nine. The five twelve gig model is how much? Three ninety nine. Okay, and right? uh, the one terabyte model is. Do I really? Yeah. No. Six ninety nine. So. Uh, both the 256 and the 512 are at 78 cents per gigabyte, which is pretty good. But again, remember, we just, like last week, talked about the 840 Evo, which is not as high performing as this and not, is not as resilient and doesn't have as long a warranty. But it crossed into the 39.9 cents per gigabyte range. So um, you're getting into the half of that level here. The one terabyte, again, drops down to $0.68 per gig. Um, the, again, the, the 840 Evo versus the 850 Pro are very different SSDs. This is very, very high performance, you know, almost enterprise level type stuff, the, the extended warranty that you get. And also, it's not really for sale yet. So I'll be curious to see what Newegg and Amazon listed at when it becomes available. I have a feeling this will be like a new favorite SSD of ours. Like the Intel SSD 730 was a tremendous product, but I still think it's. I haven't looked at the prices on it, but I'm pretty sure it's significantly higher than these. Um, still, Samsung, they just love to pump out good drives at low prices, I guess. And we'll probably see them on sale on Black Friday because that happened with the 840 lines last year. They announced them yeah. this time of year in Korea, and Alan went, and then by Black Friday, they're already on sale. It does appear to be a cycle that they're starting, and I'm okay with that. Because what did I say two weeks ago? Like I want to see 20 cents. Per gig, maybe yep, it was thirty that, cents. That might be thirty bit of a stretch. Twenty cents per gig. Do it. I'm just going to keep lowering. Hey, uh, one last thing. Sure. Uh, somebody mentioned in in the chat: Is this you know good for RAID? And the answer would be yes, because what Intel only passes trim on RAID zero or RAID one. I don't remember which one, but yes. Yeah. So then, yeah, if, be one. if you want to RAID these drives, it looks like it's yep. the one to get. Yep, because you don't have any of the fragmentation issues. So. Uh, 
Very cool drive. Uh, Alan will be back next week, so if he has any other kind of lingering comments, something that I screwed up majorly or that I didn't touch enough on from his review, he will uh, obviously share that with us then. Now next, we're going to talk with Maury about a review of the MSI. Uh, This is the... I didn't make this rundown, but this is wrong. This is supposed to be the Z97 you, You've never heard of the X97? I've what never heard of the X97 chipset before. So, uh, guys, this right here, this this right here, this should be Z97 X power. But let's talk about the board anyway with Maury. All right. So this is basically MSI's refresh of their X power board, the, the Z87 X power. This is the, the refresh, the X or the Z97. Hi, <laughs> gotcha. Um, <laughs> thanks, Ryan. Um, they they actually they did. Uh, I mean, you know, the Z97 compared to the Z87, there's some you know nice things that it offers, but um, a lot of the manufacturers, including MSI, have used the Z97 to enhance uh, their boards and change up the aesthetics as well. The X Power is no exception to that. They added an M.2 port. They have. Um, you know they have all the uh, they have like ten SATA six gigabyte ports on it. They added a hybrid cooler to the VRM. Um, it's it actually it's actually uh, it can be air cooled or it has two uh, three eighths inch water barbs on it. Um, they you know they added uh, onboard LEDs. They have the um, separate audio PCB like a lot of boards are doing now. Uh, as you can see from the rear panel, they have Wi-Fi in there. They have, you know, eight uh, USB three ports. Um, it's it's a really nice board. I mean, it's it's got some odd design decisions in it, but they also included quite a few nice to have uh, features and add-ins with it. Also, uh, one of them is something they call the D-Lid Die Guard. Basically, what that allows you to do is you, you can take the socket off, and if you de- delete your processor, which deleting means taking off the heat spreader off the processor, so you're basically interfacing with the naked die, um, you, uh, you can actually uh, use the die guard they include to protect the die of the processor so that when you put the cooler on, it doesn't crush your die. Because, you know, um, if you know, some of you guys are going to remember back in the early AMD and Intel days um, when they were when before the heat spreaders um, you know the crushing your die was a very real uh, real thing I did um, that several occasions oh I've done that too I've killed quite a few AMD not fun. Um, they also include something called uh, there's there's like a, a fan chipset it's called like the OC Hold on, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is I, you can skip all that. I need to know what shark blades are. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to talk about. The um, that's the shark. <laughs> that's the uh, shark tune. It's it's that's uh, the shark tune cooler. I think the uh, the name of the manufacturer shark tune. They they have shark blades because they kind of coon. Yeah, I think Sharkoon is the manufacturer. Oh, yes. Sharkoon is Shark Blades is the fan name. <laughs> uh, but what that is is um, they don't include the fan with it. But they include this thing called shoot. It's what he was just showing. It's uh, hold on. I'm sorry. This bracket looking thing. It's called the OC fan stand. And basically, I have it. I have it so it's blowing over the rear panel. Is but, Dick um, Clark uh, narrating it? <laughs> yeah, you're funny. You can blow, you can put it over your uh, over the CPU or over the over the uh, the dims to uh, add 
uh, additional cooling, especially when you're using water cooling or, and such, and you don't have active some kind of active fans around the motherboard. Um, and another interesting feature they include, which um, a lot of manufacturers have tr- uh, said that they were going to do in the past but never did, was they include all of the drivers on a bootable USB drive. So <gasps> you don't serious? have to use the disk nice. included. You can use their 8-gig USB Look! drive. Look! Look at nice. this! Very nice. After, next, after so many years, you finally got through to somebody, right? The Ryan. next time a motherboard <laughs> vendor says, ah, it's too expensive. Like, uh, uh, yeah. I don't want to see mm. another damn CD. In other news, this motherboard is $500. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. this motherboard is, is rather expensive, but it is their flagship board. Um, you know, the, the board, the board, this was a decent board. We gave it a silver award. Um, I mean, I was kind of surprised that they used 3-inch uh, barbs instead of just the uh, threaded G one quarter inch sockets for the uh, the VRM cooler. Um, you know, a lot of guys running water cooling are going to be running uh, half inch tubing. And if you you know if if you're going to run if you know if you're going to put barbs on there, you know um, you're basically limiting what a someone can do with a DIY water cooler. Um, the CMOS battery was kind of a weird location because they put the CMOS battery oh. and the uh, and a jumper right there. Oh my uh, God! No. That's the oh, that's such a weird place thing, for I'd it. Scroll up a little bit, Ken, in that uh, in that picture too. <laughs> One of the other things they do is they put they put the um, the the uh, SATA the additional SATA power in, a, in an auto location. Oh. Now scroll up, scroll up. Yep. See uh, right right to the left of the uh, of the VRM. But I meant right to the left. Primary thing is the uh, that's the. That's the um, add-in power for if you're running multiple video cards. The problem with that is if you're running water or you're running an air cooler or you're running multiple video cards, that's going to be very hard to get to. So, And it's going to be very mm. tricky to run your, uh, your and Contrary cables. to popular belief, Moray does not like tight. No. You're funny. And while you've got it zoomed in, can you point out to me the discharge button? The discharge because it's button. in the yeah. list, and I really yeah. There's a yeah. Um, if you go to go to page two and review, Ken, uh, there's a close up of of in of the buttons. Um, scroll down to the dim section. Scrolling, scrolling, Let's see. Yep. scrolling. Let's see. No, not there. Not up, there. Up, not up, there. Up, right up. there. Yep. See the button with the little lightning bolt on it. If you click that, um, that will. Well, is that the you will dis- launch the missiles at Kim Jong Un. Stuff no. will spit out of the motherboard. Discharge. <laughs> no, is that discharge? I think that's. Yep, uh, it says discharge right above it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. No, it does. That it really. That does. is Josh's favorite button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> so the I'm discharge, discharge button basically. Um, what that allows you to do, but. What? You guys are off. Oh, Josh. <laughs> Josh, don't piss out. We need you for the rest of the show. Trying, trying, trying. You got to pull back the damn slots when you're cleaning. <clears throat> no, 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 no. Okay, what that allows you to do is that um, a lot of times when you upgrade the CMOS or you, you bork your board because of settings, you have to uh, pull the battery, let it you know cool down for ten minutes, put the reset jumper in so that all the capacitors drain. That discharge button allows you to bypass that. Um, all you got to do is basically turn off your PSU, you hit that button, and it will fully discharge the board. Do sparks uh, fly out or anything? Where does it ground cool? it to? No. Where's it? I don't know. Like to your finger? 
No, it's grounded. <laughs> you don't want to unhook the power supply cables, Jeremy. You still got the ground from the PSU. Okay, I hope and so. It's still hooked up. You don't. <laughs> Josh, that joke was over a while ago. <laughs> Jeremy uh, talked about his fingers. <laughs> I was sure I could get him twice on that. We, we, I can put something in there, so we'll, we'll discharge through your finger if you want. See, yeah, see those uh, the uh, slots right below the discharge button. Well, I can hook a wire in there, and it'll discharge through your finger real nice. Oh, do it on do it at QuakeCon. <laughs> yeah, oh. I, I'll volunteer, Josh. He'll do it. It's fine. <laughs> He doesn't have any hair to stand up, though. He's, well, so I don't want to get into it. <sighs> All right, so silver award overall on this. Yeah. Is it just too expensive? Is that kind of... It Well, just it, for for this kind of board, I just, I mean, I was kind of... I mean, it was okay. Just, you know, it, just some of the shortcomings were, you know, um, just kind of weird. You know, the, the the use of the smaller barbs, it doesn't have... It doesn't have two NICs, which most of these high-end boards have two Intel NICs on them. Um, you know, so, some strange decisions like that, uh, you know, kind of yeah. made me think, you know, what was, you know, questioning what was what was going on there. But, but I mean, it is a very nice board. And, I mean, it, it, is, very, it is also nice that they actually added some of the features like the Dealey Die Guard throwing a bone, you know, realizing that, you know, the Z97 really – isn't it's more like a side grade rather than an upgrade really right so um so i mean you know the features are really make the board stand out but if you want more details on it the review is on pcper.com uh we are going to move on though to a different msi product this time the r9 280 Uh, in this case we have the r9 280 gaming um, which is it's just an R9 280 graphics card with their twin frozer uh, cooler included on it. You can see you have let's see one on that side and four on that side. So you got five heat pipes on this bad boy. Um, the R9 280 graphics card is an interesting thing. I think I referenced it maybe one too many times in the review, but it is it's essentially the Radeon HD 7950, whereas the R9 280X is essentially the Radeon HD 7970. And the relationship that those two cards had is maintained for the relationship between the 280X and the 280, which means that the 280 is very, very close in performance to the 280X for a significantly lower price. In this range, we're talking about a $50 to $60 price difference. And the R9 280 Gaming Edition here from MSI starts at $229. I think it may be a little bit higher, um, of course, 24 hours after I published it, uh, but I, I think those prices will come back down very soon. Uh, the card itself follows the red and black color scheme, does not match the X, X Power motherboard in any way or fashion, uh, but you know, you do what you got to do. Uh, <laughs> you have to buy the lightning for that. Yeah. The yellow. It, oh, okay, it does match the gaming board. You're right. Yeah. So uh, the R9 280 reference speed is 933 megahertz. It's still got three gigs of memory running at five gigahertz. Uh, and a 384-bit memory bus. This MSI card was actually running at a gigahertz, one gigahertz, 1,000 megahertz, which is a little bit of an overclock, about 6 or 7%. Nothing too dramatic there. The design of the board, like I said, or the card, nothing spectacular, but very good, very solid, follows in the MSI gaming series that they've done. I, the connectivity options of a single DVI and HDMI and two mini display ports are, is pretty good. If you... 
if you wanted to have two, you know, 30 inch or two 27 inch monitors, you're going to have to use a DisplayPort connection or get a, a an active adapter for that, which can be a little bit of a headache. But if you're a single monitor type person, uh, that won't be that big of a deal. Uh, performance wise, the as expected, the R9 280, especially in this overclocked environment. Uh, performed almost on par with the R9-280X. You can see here, if you look at the graphs, like orange line is the 280, green line is the 280X, and then the blue and black lines down here are actually the R9-270X and the GTX 760. The 760 is interesting because it is the exact same price as the R9-280, but in pretty much every result, I think with the exception of maybe Crisis 3 at 1080p, fell well behind the performance of the 280. Um, actually, we'll go ahead and uh, jump to, like, I don't know, so let's say grid two. And again, if you look at 1080p, the orange and green lines very, very close together. It's the 280 and 280X, blue and black lines down there of the GTX 760 and the 270X very close together. So you can kind of see how performance uh, is differentiated there. Um, but if you look at uh, let's look at overclocking as well. I was able to push this card up to 1150. Um, so another 150 megahertz faster than what you got out of the box, which resulted in another 11% increase in like 3D Mark performance, right? As just kind of our, of our test case. Um, so, and that was without adjusting voltage, without, you know, doing any kind of additional cooling or anything. That was just using the MSI Afterburner software, changing it from 1000 to 1150, no problems, uh, and you know maybe we got a good one. So maybe you only hit eleven hundred, but that's still another additional hundred megahertz, which could, in my opinion, probably in several cases take it over the performance of a reference two eighty X. And again, you're saving money, and this is a fairly low cost card in the two thirty to two fifty range. Power consumption and- very close to two eighty X. Sound levels the Twin Frozer card does great. Very low noise levels uh, under full load. Uh, that's always good to see. Three gig frame buffer, yeah, always big plus. Yeah, so so for a for a two hundred twenty nine dollar card, when I wrote this, you're getting a three gig frame buffer. You're getting, you know, essentially ten eighty p at sixty hertz frame rates for all games maxed out, with maybe the exception of of Crisis Three so far. Um, and that's that's a you say it a lot, but that's a lot of gaming performance for your dollar, right? Uh, and, you know, I gave it the gold award. Um, I, I think it is definitely a better option for – if, if that's your budget, it's better than the GTX 760. The GTX 760 is a significantly lower performance card at, the, at that price. It also has a 2 gig instead of a 3 gig frame buffer. Um, so, I mean, I think there's a lot to like about the R9 280 in general. Uh, it was kind of the last of – it was not kind of. It was the last of the uh, R9 series cards, you know, the single GPU options to kind of come out and be rebranded. And um, I, I think it's done a very good job of, of staking, you know, its claim into – I don't want to call it budget, maybe not even mainstream, but kind of low-end enthusiast, you know, high-end mainstream product segment where your budget's $250 or below. And what's the best card for that? This is this is a pretty pretty – pretty good option but let me ask this okay does it have a discharge button um let me look again uh uh no have you looked under the the flap spot uh maybe if i take remove all of its coverings 
<laughs> oh no. Yeah, pull it back. Pull back the shroud. Are you done with this joke yet? Uh, we are finished. Can Let's we, move on. Can we move on? Uh, check out the review. We've got all the benchmarks in the review if you want to see that. Uh, but like I said, I think it's it's a really good card. If, you, if you're looking for it online on Amazon or Newegg and it's more expensive, I would just wait. It will be back down at that $229, $239 price, I think, uh, relatively soon. So Now, uh, say you wanted to win an R9 280, Jeremy. Um, you didn't want to pay for it because suckers pay for things. How would you go about uh, maybe potentially winning one from AMD and XFX? Well, I mean, first you would have had to hang out with us cool people you know, prior to the launch of this contest, which I thought was a brilliant idea on Lenny's part. Yeah. Um, so if you'd posted to the PC Perspective forums more than five times before June 25th, and you're willing to put a picture of your current machine up and have our commenters make horrible, horrible comments about it. Josh uh, and Although you should post the picture in the thread Again? in the forum. You can win yourself an XFX R9 280, thanks to War Sam and AMD. Yep, and so you can see here, and this this picture is one of the submissions, uh, and they are posting a, a look at inside their rig. There, I think it was Itachi, wasn't it? I don't know, but he he's got a nice graphics card there. But even if you've got a good system or a bad system, that's not how the selection is being made. Uh, so yeah, big props out to AMD. And uh, those guys for hooking us up with an XFX R9280. So same would apply to that XFX model um, that we just talked about with the MSI card as well. So uh, head into the forums or find this news post on PCPer.com titled conveniently, Hey, uh, do you have any interest in a free XFX R9280? Which I think uh, I think most people most people would. Generally, there's something wrong with you if you don't. Josh, tell me a little bit about Intel's Knight's Landing and um, why I have this cool picture of Windows Task Manager that looks suspiciously like it's from Windows XP. It Uh, might be. uh, Or maybe they're just running server 2013 R2. Okay. All right. Fine. Yeah. Uh, Basically, uh, Knight's Landing, the Xeon Phi. It's going to be supposedly coming out in the, what, 2015 range. Scott Mm -hmm. wrote about this. Um, you remember years ago, Larrabee? I do. Not, not Eric the Hafabee, but just Larrabee. Yeah. God, you guys just don't, I mean, other than Jeremy, nobody really knows Monty Python very well. It's it's kind of sad. You can fly to England right now and watch them live if you Yeah, that's, that's what I hear on the O2 thing, or okay, whatever yeah. that is. But, uh, so basically, it's it's many, many, many Silvermont cores with a 512 bit vector atta- vector unit attached to it. Um, so you're getting a lot of x86 cores, but each core, of course, is not nearly as good a performance as the modern Haswell, which is why you can socket one of these Xeon 5s right next to a regular Xeon, and through the magic of uh, compilers and uh, software support and Intel doing some really interesting things that they haven't probably talked about yet, you could get the uh, the workloads that that will do best on, you know, like a Haswell type part, or at that time it's going to be what Skylake, Broadwell, one of those, and uh, the things that will really utilize the Xeon Phi, which is you know massively parallel, 
it's not as high as IPC, but you've got so many cores in there with these vector unit, units attached that performance uh, in those workloads is going to be very, very, very good. They have some other interesting things on there, like, uh, what is it, up to 16 gigs of uh, on-chip memory, and uh, that memory goes at something like 500 gigabytes per second. Yeah, they call it, I've never heard of this, hybrid memory cube uh, developed by Micron and supported by the Hybrid Memory Cube Consortium, which was new to me. Uh, But they are talking about memory bandwidth rated at 500 gigabytes per second compared to GeForce Titan Black, which is like 336 gigabytes per second. So um, that was, you know, when we look at, I don't want to compare this to integrated graphics, when you look at, you know, an APU, like an AMD APU or anything with a combined CPU, GPU, the the bottleneck traditionally is memory bandwidth, right? And that's what's kind of holding back performance. That's why when you build an APU system, you can actually see performance advantages by moving from DDR1333 to 1600 to 1866 and beyond. Um, This is obviously way, way faster than any of that. But I had never heard of hybrid memory cube technology before. It sounds fake. But I'm going to guess since they well, it, it's it's, it's, it's all in fun and games until Glados comes and takes it away from you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So uh, anyway, what's kind of interesting about this is this is like a very big implementation of AMD's current Kaveri. You've got you know four cores that are relatively fast, and then a bunch of smaller kind of cores that uh, you can't do a whole lot with in terms of OS, but uh, they can do parallel processing very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that AMD tread this area first, and certainly if we see these Xeon Phi's out in a decent time with good software support and um, if it really performs as well as we hope it will, uh, you know, it just kind of says that, hey, this, uh, this idea has a lot of merit. We're pursuing it. We're, we're going to try to provide the best implementation that we can. And, uh, you know, it's going to be nice to see, uh, you know, eventually some of this stuff will come down to consumer space. So maybe not Xeon 5, but yeah. the overall architecture of, you know, the big cores and a lot of little cores. I've been, I've been so interested in this product since it was Larrabee when we talked with uh, about ray tracing. We talked with tons of developers about ray tracing and, and kind of how that was all going to translate into this and now how it's sidestepped into this other program and now people are talking about, well, maybe, you know, it actually would do good in this implementation with this memory implementation as a GPU um, for the same types of things, right? So uh, I, don't, I don't really know what to, to, to make of it yet, um, but I'm, I'm hoping maybe at uh, IDF we'll see some of this stuff kind of being demoed and shown off. I hope. Um, Arm made an interesting announcement this week uh, on the Juno development platform. Uh, Juno is a a hardware... It's actually a piece of hardware, and they're partnering with Lenaro, which is a software vendor, to release a 64-bit ready Arm development ecosystem. So um, the, the move to ARM V8 is kind of already happening. Apple already put out an ARM V8 uh, ready processor, but you know, they, they don't make parts for other people, so it's, it hasn't been that kind of big of, a, of an earth-changing NVIDIA thing. has working 64-bit silicon that we saw at CES this yep. year. Yep, they had it working. Um, and, and so 
what ARM has done is they're trying to make sure as they get encroached on by Intel uh, in the server market and as ARM wants to go into the server market, they want to make sure that the 64-bit platform is going to be ready in both hardware and software uh, when it's necessary. And so they built Juno, which is this board here. And um, it's not very small. It's not small. Compared to what ARM usually does. Correct. Correct. It's not meant to be small. It's, it's a development platform. It's lots of connectivity options on it. There's lots of, there's FPGA connections so that you can add. So nobody's going to build a phone around this? Uh, you could. Uh, it would not be a very portable device. Could be like, you know, a World War II radio. Yep. Carry it on a backpack. Yeah. Yeah, you could do that. You could do that. Uh, in terms of the actual technology in it, you have a test chip with uh, a dual Cortex-A57, a quad Cortex-A53, and a quad Mali t 624 graphics chip in it. Uh, and that is enabled through uh, the ARM Big, Big Little uh, I guess we'll, we call that like implementation methods, right? Where the A57 is the big core, the A53 is the little core, and, and that whole process works seamlessly there. They've got the software stack in place so that you can use one or all or no, you know one of the big cores and all the little cores or all of everything or one of just one singular, uh, and they've got that working. Uh, Juno allows software to target 64-bit development immediately without having to wait for NVIDIA to get fully functioning silicon or Qualcomm to get fully functioning silicon or Samsung to get it uh, out to software developers. And something that, uh, you know, that took in a little bit explained to me by software developers, I'm not talking about people who are making the updated Nest app for 64-bit versions of Android or anything like that. They're talking about the software developers that are writing kernels, that are writing drivers, that are writing the tools and virtual machine implementations for 64-bit ARM software. So, uh, Yeah, how many of these units is, are, is Google going to buy? Probably a behind load. Yeah, yeah, prob- probably quite a bit. Um, and along with it, right, so ARM announced this. They also announced a uh, partnership with Lenaro, which is a company that does uh, a lot of Linux development, to release a um, 64-bit port of the Android open source project that will run on that Juno board. And so they also have a Linux kernel, version 314, uh, that runs on ARM V8. And the hope is from ARM is that now developers should have all the tools available to them to make that 64-bit transition seamless and quick. Right, they don't want it to be a long, drawn-out process. Think back to what happened with the AMD and Intel 64-bit transition, uh, and it was easy in some ways, but painfully long in a lot of other ways. And they're trying to avoid that. Also, keep in mind that uh, Google announced uh, Android L, the the kind of beta program for that, the developer program for that. It supports ARM V8 as well. So. I don't know that, but I would assume you could get Android L up and running on this Juno board and do stuff that way. I don't really know. Not saying you personally listening, but somebody would be able to over at Google um, and and move things that way. So it's this is not a consumer product. It's not a product for just everyday app developers. This is probably what we're we're just guessing at this point because R wouldn't tell us. But maybe they're making what five thousand of these, ten thousand of these, or something total to to pass out and they're not they're not trying to replace 
uh, Qualcomm, NVIDIA, Samsung. They're trying to jumpstart those guys uh, and make sure that the software people have tools in their hands to get the job done so that when Qualcomm, NVIDIA, and Samsung are ready, the software is ready to go as well. So I think it's a good move on their part to kind of, you know, engage with this audience and kind of get them out there. I I don't know if they did this when they moved to ARM V7. It's been, I don't remember that transition at all, right? So um, I don't know if this is a, a very out of character move for them for ARM um, to, to kind of make this development platform, but I think it's a really, really good idea either way. Do you have any other thoughts on that, Josh? Or? Um, <clears throat> ARM's also going to be using a lot of these themselves because, I mean, they support the, uh, the Molly... Uh, uh, graphics unit, and so they have to build drivers for the 64-bit uh, environment they're going to be working in. Probably Imagination Tech, uh, other guys who provide, um, you know, graphics will be buying these and plugging in through the PCIe ports their own products, so they can develop yep. the drivers for their graphics uh, units. So that both Qualcomm and and uh, Imagination Tech will probably be doing the same thing. It's interesting, like I said, I said, hey, is this something we can get our hands on and play around with? They immediately said no. They uh, laughed. <laughs> but I kind of expected that. So, you know, I'm just eager to see what the software community does with it and uh, what that means for enterprise markets, consumer markets, whatever it happens to be down the road. So it won't be very long. Now, before we get to our picks of the week, somebody else snuck something into the show notes here, uh, Jeremy, especially apparently for you about – a video game? Video games of some kind? No, I didn't sneak it in there, but I, I will gladly spell out about what early access is becoming. Because it, it's getting almost as pernicious as uh, pre-releases, or pre, sorry, pre-purchases. Mm-hmm. So, Planetary Annihilation is now released a boxed version, you buy it in a brick-and-mortar store, of their early access to this Memorpaga. Wow. And that's all you get is that early access edition, which has the words full game in it. There is no star on the back. There is no explanation of what this means. So I can see people picking this up and expecting to buy a full game because, well, they just paid £40 for a game in a box. It's a reasonable expectation that you get a game for that. Now, I mean, I've got two... uh, pre-releases installed on my machine now, Carmageddon Reincarnation and Jagged Alliance uh, Flashback. But these are both games that I purposefully went out and backed on Kickstarter Mm. with the intention of starting them while they were still in alpha, while they were still piles of garbage, to try and help (laughs) develop them the way that I wanted to. Sure. This is a choice on my part as opposed to somebody going in and saying, well, my kid likes video games. Oh, look. They mentioned Planetary Annihilation once, and it's got a Transformer on the box, and this is going to be awesome. And they'll grab it, and they'll pay full price, and come home to what is, well, a relatively solid beta at this point. But at the same point, it's about as good as buying a friggin' demo. Like, I just don't think this is a very good trend. It may be self-correcting, because this is going to lead to a lot of bad reviews. Uh, a lot of people are going to bitch and scream that they released a game that uh, wasn't even ready for release yet. Amazon it wasn't reviews. even published by EA. <laughs> we don't understand what's going on here. So it may be self-correcting. At the same time, I'm sort of thinking, if you were that type of person, you could make an alpha version of a game with the free upgrade to full version, 
put it out there, make a whole crap load of money, and move on to the next pre-alpha without ever bothering to finish the game. Yeah, oh, you come on. You know what? Back in the early 90s, shareware was five bucks Monthly. a floppy disk, and they'd send it to you. Floppy what? Commander Keen. Ex- Commander Keen, the Catacomb Abyss. I have yeah. a stinking chemistry package that, if you were to buy it retail, it'd you know, be 150 bucks. but instead I got it for $15 through shareware catalog. And a news group. $0 through sneaker net. What's your point, Josh? I'm saying that it's not <laughs> like, exactly unheard of. No. And I don't think this is the first uh, But share, was shareware released before there was an actual product? Well, yeah, like like I think the original Doom had a very limited shareware that you'd yes. pay like 5 bucks. Right, but you're they're not charging $5 for this. They're charging 39.9 is that pounds? 39.99 pounds. That must be like so a million dollars. That's like a million dollars. Yeah. It, it'll be just it'll be a regular game price. If if they said, "Hey, here's it's a $5 pre-order and you get access to it, the early access, which is what we have done before, like what we have seen before." Doom didn't say, "Hey, give us $59 and here's the level and we'll probably make more levels." Yeah, but in 1992 when you paid $15 for the 3 discs, I mean, and let's let's add in inflation. You know, it's comparable. Sure. Yeah. I don't know, I don't but know. I can also remember getting demos for free all the time, and that's not a thing anymore. Well, remember, uh, yeah, Boot Magazine, and well, oh, yeah. Maximum, Maximum PC, PC or whatever. But there's discs full of demos. They man. had the CD discs of demos and benchmarks and all the yep. stuff. I got that. They stuff got me started all the time along this. Thankless and painful <laughs> thing that I've done in my life. Oh, it's thankless. Oh. Yeah. Back in the day when some company no one's ever heard of broke the gigahertz barrier for the first time. Yeah, Cyrix. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to our hardware software picks of the week. Uh, I'm up first. I have the S3 screenshot, S3 screenshot grabber, which, despite what Google thinks, is not a utility for a Galaxy S3 to get screenshots off of the device. It is instead a very... You can still use that Verge 3D, right? Yeah, to exactly. To get screenshots. Yeah. Yep. Uh, this is a very, very simple software utility that... Um, uh, you use if you have a, an Amazon S3 account, which anybody, if you have an Amazon account, you have an Amazon S3 account. It's very easy to do. And if you want to have a utility that lets you take screenshots, automatically upload them to your S3 account, and then it copies that URL to your clipboard so you can then paste it into a chat window or to an email or something like that, um, it actually works really well. I use that here at the office now. It's how I pass out screenshots on Twitter. It's how I pass out screenshots uh, in our like hip chat group as well uh, because I got tired of using the other ones that uploaded it to some external service that I didn't know if it was going to be there or not. And I like to reference those screenshots. And obviously, if you have it stored in your S3 account, then you have access to those and you can go back and look through all of them in, in five years and see what the hell you were doing and wonder why. Um, it's a free utility. Uh, it's not super user friendly. Like you just put your public key and private key, like in plain text in the, in the application and, um, it doesn't have an installer. It just runs. And so if you want it to auto start, you have to kind of go into those windows settings and, and add it to it manually that way. Um, so, you know, don't give this to your grandparents or something like that. But if, uh, if you know what that is, 
Uh, if you know what S3 is, you can you can uh, uh, do that. It has other features here, like you, you crop it to the screen cap. You can drag and drop into the, the application. It will upload files to your S3 account and folder, which is kind of nice. Um, you can adjust the image type and quality levels. You can use CloudFront. And it does have a very small footprint. I think it's like a 15K application or something like that. It's 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 really basic. Um so there you go. It's S3 Screenshot Grabber. And the URL, I'm going to look at it because it's very odd. It is s3.zor.io. So I don't know why, but there you have it. Uh, who's up next? Jeremy? Eh, I don't know. It sounds good, but it doesn't have a discharge button. Uh, OCZ right now is having sales on all their drives. Uh, I specifically chose the Vertex 460 because it's a relatively new one. And while it's not quite hitting Ryan's, what is it, 15 cents a gig now? 20. I'm, I'm okay. not asking for much, just 20. But 139.49 and free shipping for the 240 gig is pretty decent. The uh, 500 gig is also, or sorry, 480 gig because OCZ does that, is 260 bucks. Not bad for a relatively new uh, SSD. High performance. It's definitely high performance. Yeah, it's barefoot of three. It's going to be enjoyable. And at these prices, which, I mean, the lovely thing is with SSDs, there's always sales on. It's just this week, this happens to be sort of the most attractive one I have saw. Very cool. And uh, one thing, if I may add something to Jeremy's thing, I actually bought one of these from Tiger Direct. Tiger Direct was running a sale on these. I got mine for... I think it was ninety nine after twenty dollar mail in rebate. So I got a t- the two hundred forty Vertex four sixty for ninety nine bucks. What? So these yes, it was. I mean, it was it was one of their one day sales. It was crazy. That's why I picked it up. I'm sorry. Did you um, not tell us about this? I did. Yeah, I put it in hit chat. This. Nobody listened. Oh, it's just, it's just Maury talking. Yeah. What? Uh, but um, yeah. So so I mean, look look for deals on these because there there is some crazy deals going on. You just got to look for them. Very cool. Josh, well, you're up next. Uh, you know, before I get to my pick, <clears throat> talking about all the shareware stuff and the changing world, it, it, it is right. sad uh, to me that... Uh, let's move on to Maury. I gotta- File Shack <laughs> is gone. File Planet's gone. And if you remember back in the day, 3dfiles.com. Yeah. The guys who started it out, I, I would get my updated 3D effects drivers because they had never post them on their stinking website. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's sad. They're all gone. That was the anecdote? Yes. Makes me sad. Good Sorry. Memories. Good memories. <laughs> anyway, but uh, pick. Uh, you know, since we moved from Novell to uh, Active Directory, I've had questions. I've tried to do things. And I didn't want to take down the network and destroy everything. Wow, and so I went on the, uh, the Microsoft TechNeck. TechNeck. It sounds like a <laughs> neck beer. TechNet. Yep, almost and they died. have Good. the virtual labs where you can set up scenarios or run through some of theirs. Like uh, you have a bunch of domain controllers and file uh, servers and uh, you troubleshoot uh, the issues you have and how to diagnose them, how to fix them. And you do this in a virtual environment. You have about two hours to, to go through a lot of this stuff. But boy, it was handy to me. When I was learning about DFS problems and uh, AD replication, which wasn't happy. 
All right, and last on our list for picks is Maury. I hope yours is more exciting than TechNet. What do you got? Uh, I got <laughs> not really. I got an eight pin. Uh, <laughs> it's an eight pin. Yeah, eight port fan fan hub. Um, I, I was you know getting parts ready for my for my uh, yearly mod, and I'm running three radiators in my new system with nine fans or something. So I needed something to put them in. Mm-hmm. So I was going on the Cooler Master site and found a eight port hub. Uh, a port fan hub. Now the interesting thing about this fan hub is, well, first of all, the price was only five bucks, and if you go anywhere else, it's like ten or something. The other thing is that if you on the uh, on the hub itself, in the middle of it, you notice it's got the SwiftTech logo. That's actually a fan hub made by SwiftTech <laughs> that Cooler Master is reselling for cheaper than SwiftTech has it retailing. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Somebody bought a bulk package. Yeah. So, but it's it's powered by a uh, a single um, uh, SATA SATA power adapter, uh, and it uh, will read PWM. It will re- read and regulate PWM off of one of the uh, ports on the thing. So, if you care about regulating your fan speed, you can use that. I just bought it to run eight fans. I really don't care about regulating the speed. <laughs> so. Fair enough. But yeah, so you know, it's pretty will this cool. Be in use, will this be in use on your QuakeCon rig? Yes, it will. All right, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I better be so impressed. Okay, all right. Well, I'll give you a preview. Okay, so I'm taking. I have. I have a half nine thirty two case. Okay. Okay. I'm taking that, modding it, and mounting a nine fifteen R on top of it, and that's where my radiators and uh, pump are going to be in. Kinky. So I'm making my own stacker. Okay. All right. All right. I'm just gonna show up. I'm gonna probably walk off a plane. So <laughs> I'll, I'll game on somebody else's computer. Uh, that's gonna be uh, it for this week's show, everyone. Thank you for joining us. If you watch the live stream, it's at pcper.com/live. We really appreciate it. Um, again, every Wednesday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, we record that. Go to pcpro.com slash live, pcpro.com slash podcast. Obviously, if you are interested in our QuakeCon workshop happening on July 19th, go to pcpro.com slash QuakeCon or pcpro.com slash workshop. We've got all the listings there. All the information will be there. Uh, we plan to do a live podcast recording on either Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, once we're there, uh, we don't know where yet and if we'll have public seating. Um, we won't know that until closer to the event. So uh, keep an eye on that page and keep paying attention to the podcast, and we'll let you know uh, if we can still pull that off. But that's the goal. Um, even if it's stand out in the hallway, if it's one guy, Josh will still appreciate the audience. So, Surely. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. Uh, and then we can go have beers after that. So um, that's it. We will uh, see you guys uh, next week, I guess. We got, what, how many more podcasts until QuakeCon? Just one? One. one. Yep. Holy yep. crap. All you right. got to get cracking, dude. Got crap to do. All right, everybody. I'll see you next week. I'm Ryan Shrout. Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrath, and I'm fired. <clears throat> and I'm Maury Tattleman. <laughs> Probably fired. Probably fired. <laughs>